If you have a Bible, get it open to uh, Luke 5. We'll be in verses 27 through 32 today. If you're watching and you need a good Bible, a couple things. One is we have free Bibles in the drive through activities cabinet outside our front doors here at the property. You are welcome to stop by and get a Bible. We have children's Bibles as well as uh, Bibles for adults and students. And so let that be our gift to you. Or you can contact the church office or send me an email. Let us know or let me know your address, your name, and I would love to either mail one to you or drop it off on your front door. How good is the good news of Jesus Christ? How amazing is the amazing grace of Jesus Christ? Who did Jesus come for? When he took on flesh to dwell among us, taking on the form of a a man, living the sinless life, beginning his earthly mission here in the Gospel of Luke, who did he have in mind? What kind of person or people was he seeking to reach and to save? Was it just the supposed clean people? However you define the word clean. Was it just for the religious or those who had a religious upbringing? Was it just those who lived outwardly moral lives? Does the good news of Jesus have the power to reach and save and redeem and set free those who are far from God, the socially outcast, the person who has a train of hurt and baggage and socially taboo sins hiding behind them, dragging in behind them? Does God have the power to save and redeem that person? And the short biblical answer is yes. Yes, he does. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone or anyone who believes. The good news of the good news of Jesus Christ is that good. The amazing grace of the amazing grace of Jesus Christ is that amazing. Jesus' sacrificial death, his atoning blood, has the power to rescue and forgive and save and redeem even the worst of sinners. People like you and people like me with a microphone. I remember the mistakes. I remember the failures. I remember times when I knew exactly what I was supposed to do according to the word of God. And I chose to go the other way and do what Dave wanted to do. I strayed, I wandered to pierce myself with my own selfish and sinful and prideful choices. There are actions that I've done that I wish I could take back, have a do-over, like the playground days back in the day, and have a do-over on those. There are moments where I wish I could relive them and, and act or obey when I was called to act or obey. So things I'd like to take back and things I'd like to do over and do again so that I could act in obedience. I do not have a stain-free or sin-free history and neither do you. None of us do. The Bible makes that abundantly clear that we've fallen short of the glory of God. We've missed the mark to live perfectly righteous for our Creator. We are born with sinful hearts that are bent toward Self, bent toward me, myself, and I. There are three groups of people who are listening or watching today. The first group are the believers in Christ. 
You've heard the gospel. You've personally come to understand the implications of the gospel in your personal life. You've repented and trusted in Jesus for your salvation. You're aware of how good the good news is and how amazing the amazing grace is. And the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, including you. The second group of people watching today, you don't trust in Jesus. You're, you're curious. You're seeking you're learning, you're, you're, you're interested in the things of the Lord, things of faith, but you're not across that line of faith yet. You haven't placed your trust in Jesus. And some of the reasons you haven't might be things like you think you've done too much for Jesus to forgive you. Or you're not actually sure if he has the ability to forgive your heart and purify you from your past and, and set you on a new creation, new life path. Or maybe you really don't think that Jesus wants to do that or is willing to save you and give you a new life. Basically, in your eyes, you are too stained, too dirty, too much baggage for the Lord to wash and clean and set you free. Like like maybe for you, you actually would not darken the doors of a physical church building on a typical Sunday. But praise God you're watching today and I pray that you will join us here in the Cross Point living room in person. That you would, in a sense, darken our doors and move past our doors and sit in this space. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, including you. And the last group of people doesn't trust in Jesus either, but the reasons are not because you think you've done too much for God to forgive you, It's because you think you've not done enough for him to accept you. You might be self-aware enough to recognize your own sin or how you're not flawless. But instead of that driving you toward humility and your knees and asking for the Lord's mercy and grace and forgiveness, you take a glance at the people around you, the people you live with, the people you live around down the street. You read about somebody somebody on the internet And you compare yourself to them, and you're thinking, well, I'm closer to God than they are. And it's pretty easy to find people on the internet where you feel like you're closer to God than they are. That that your life is more uh, outwardly moral than those around you. And, And so you're operating out of this false idea that holiness is something you earn through outward actions. That holiness is something you work your way into like that promotion at work, that corner office, that management position. You work your way into it. That holiness is outside of you, you think, and so you must go out and achieve it. So, so this thinking promotes this self-righteousness in your way of life. You're quick to look down on the people around you who don't morally measure up and you assume that the Lord only accepts those who are quote-unquote clean and you miss your own cleanliness or uncleanliness. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, including you. Last week, Pastor Kent was preaching, took us through Luke 5, verses 12 through 26, and there we saw that Jesus healed a leper and then a paralyzed man Jesus is interacting with people who were social outcasts and misfits. People who were looked down upon. 
And so today in our passage, we'll see Jesus pursue and initiate and save someone who, again, was a social outcast. But not because of leprosy, not because of paralysis, but because of his, his sinful and selfish way of life. Jesus will save Levi and give him a new life and remind us that the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We'll read verses 27 through 32 and then we'll talk through them. After this, after Jesus heals the leper, the paralyzed, rebukes the religious leaders who question his ability to forgive sin, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office. And he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus replied to them, it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This story is talking about Levi, also known as Matthew. Same story is given in Mark 2, as well as Matthew's own gospel in chapter 9. All similar accounts, all talking about the same person, referred to as Levi, here in the gospel of Luke, and in Mark, referred to Matthew in Matthew's own gospel. Verse 27 again, after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Jesus went out and saw. This exchange, this moment is not by accident. Jesus initiated it. Don't miss that. The action begins with Jesus, the Son of God. Levi is a tax collector. So what does a tax collector mean? What does that mean in that context or time frame? In Rome at the time, they sold the right to collect taxes in the different lands that had been conquered by the Roman Empire. So you, as a Roman citizen, could go to Rome and buy the opportunity to tax people. So after buying that privilege, you could go into that province or that city and then hire others to work underneath you. Multi-level marketing scheme in order to collect taxes from this particular city or region. And so you'd, you'd add a surcharge to the taxes, line your own pockets, make as much money as you want, and Matthew or Levi was one of those locals that had been hired. And there were all kinds of taxes. I know it's hard to get your mind around such an idea, but try to imagine it with your creativity that there are all sorts of taxes. They would tax bridges. Wine, bread, fruit, income, property, fish that were caught, anything. And so Rome, Romans would go hire Jews to work for them in this tax-collecting business. Consequently, if you were a Jewish, Jewish person who went to work for a Roman person to collect taxes, you were despised. You were a traitor, an outcast from the synagogue, seen as unclean, a disgrace to your family. This was not a, an esteemed profession. In fact, if you were a hired tax collector, you had a category unto yourself. We saw it in this story already. Sinners and tax collectors 
a whole separate category, not even lumped into sinners. So leaders are referring to tax collectors as the bottom of the barrel, the scum of the society, the worst of the worst. And Levi was a Jewish tax collector, and Jesus calls Levi to follow him. The tax collector was hated by all, and yet Jesus loved, pursued, called Levi, and in the end, Levi will become a disciple of Jesus Christ. He'll write one of those gospel accounts, Matthew, that we still learn about to this day, about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because God has the power to redeem lives, including yours. Jesus said to him, follow me. So leaving everything behind, he got up and began to follow him. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of action. Inward heart and mind agreement with the Lord that then leads to this outward way of life that looks different, where the outward then matches the inward. Verse 28 is a picture of repentance. Follow me, Jesus said. Levi's tired of following himself. Agrees with the words of Jesus, leaves everything behind, and begins to follow Jesus as his Lord, as his leader. And so before, Levi was living for his own kingdom that was primarily about taking. Now he's going to enter the kingdom of God, which is primarily about giving. Giving your life away, no longer living for self but living for the one who died and rose again for you, living for your Savior and for the sake of others. And so leaving everything behind, this is sacrifice. Because tax collectors had built their lives around the love of money. He drops it, repents from it. I'm not serving the God of money anymore. I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. And notice, he's not sad here. This is not begrudging repentance of fine, whatever, and then kick the dust. Fine, I'll follow you, Jesus. Maybe for some of you students, this is how you feel when you, when you get asked to clean your room or do your online learning or do this chore around the house, this begrudging obedience of fine, whatever, and you grumble and you mumble away. This is not Levi, though. This is not Levi. He is joyfully repenting and following Jesus Christ. A couple weeks ago, we looked at Jesus calling Peter to follow him, to become a disciple who would fish for people. And, and we see the same type of response here. Peter dropped the old, walked in a new way. When you repent, when you truly repent, your priorities change. Your perspectives change. Your beliefs change. And as a result, your life changes. It looks different than it did before because the inside, new spirit, new heart is different. And what happens when your life has been genuinely changed by a Savior who pursued you and loved you and sought you out and died for you and saved you? What happens? What do you want to tell others? It's a natural outworking of a heart that's been transformed. Verse 29, then Levi hosted a grand banquet for him at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with them. Jesus is the honored guest at this banquet. Levi opens, him, opens his home, invites a large number of people into his home. He's passing food around, sitting in close proximity of people. 
They're hugging, they're embracing, they're shaking hands, they're sharing a good time. It sounds like a glorious time considering our context right now. I would go with grilled meat or smoked meat as my entree, but I digress as I think about backyard gatherings and dream about those. But remember, the people who have gathered here are not accidental sinners. Not that there is such a thing. But these people are are very public about their sin. And they also know that how God feels about their sin, and they don't care. They don't care. These are Levi's friends, his acquaintances, his former business partners, all part of the pyramid. And Jesus, right away here, is showing Levi what it looks like to fish for people. Jesus was not uncomfortable here. Why? Because Jesus loved people. He came to seek and save people. People who had been created in the image and likeness of their creator, but had chosen to disregard and rebel their creator and say, I'm going to go my own way. I will be my own authority. I'll call the shots in my life. Jesus came to seek and save. Jesus spending time with sinners, though, it confused the religious leaders because they didn't do such a thing. Verse 30, but the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Why do you spend extended time in relationship and in association with people who are far from God? Keep in mind, this exchange in verse 30 happens after the party. Because again, these religious leaders weren't going to be invited to Levi's house for this party. And they wouldn't have wanted to go to Levi's house for this banquet. The Pharisees take issue with someone who would be seeking sinners and tax collectors, let alone welcoming them to a table for food and conversation and relationship. Because the Pharisee is following this false line of thinking and assuming that you become holy or unholy through external things. So their thinking goes, well, one way to grow in holiness is to spend less time with unholy or ungodly people. So they see a tax collector, and so they see it as actually sinful in spending time with him because it might tarnish a good person's reputation. And yet we've seen thus far in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is not operating with that mindset. He spent time with Peter in that fishing boat. He's engaging the leper. He's not declining the invitation to Levi's banquet. Because Jesus can be in those situations and still remain holy and not be given to temptation and not be infected with leprosy. Jesus moves toward sinners who he is desiring to seek and save. And then verses 31 and 32, which are our memory verses for the month of May. Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm here for people that in their very, very honest moments know there's something wrong. I'm here for people who look in the mirror when nobody else is around and think, nobody else knows this, but there is something wrong in my heart. I'm not well. That I have this disease of sin that I can't seem to shake on my own. I can't find healing. I can't find escape. 
He has come for people who recognize that they are lost and in need of saving, in need of mercy, in need of forgiveness, in need of grace. Jesus came for the sick. There's a humility associated with being sick. When you go to the doctor, you're saying, this isn't going away. I need help. I need healing. I, I can't fix this on my own. I've kind of waited it out, but it's not going away. And when you're the patient, you're receiving care. You're not grabbing the white coat saying, I'll go ahead and sit in the doctor's chair. No, you're, you're there to receive compassion, mercy, counsel, wisdom, truth. See, the religious leaders are blind to their own sick condition before a holy God. The Pharisees were the ones who thought that, that through outward actions, they could heal and transform the inward heart. That doing outward holy actions or avoiding outward unholy actions would lead to an inward holiness. And so while they appeared healthy, they were sick. They were sick with pride. They were sick with self-righteousness. They assumed that they did not need a great physician. They didn't need a savior. In this short passage, Jesus speaks to three different groups of people, the same three groups that are watching today. He speaks to Levi, the transformed, the repentant, the believer. And so let me speak to you, my fellow believers, brothers and sisters in Christ. We were once Levi, living for ourselves, for our own little kingdoms of self, living for our own selfish desires, and the grace of God pursued and initiated, and that gospel was proclaimed, and we received and we welcomed its truth. We repented and believed in Jesus. Loved one, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember when the life message, the gospel message of grace and forgiveness sought you out when you were still sinning? When you were still running and straining and wandering how the Lord pursued you? I pray that as we remember that, the Lord might grow in us a growing gratitude, devotion, love, worship, thanksgiving to the one who makes it possible. Jesus also spoke to the crowds that had gathered at Levi's party, who probably recognized their own sickness, but wondered if the gospel applies to them. And some of you are there this morning. You're thinking, I, I've done too much, too many stains, too many socially taboo sins, this small town thinking of, well, they know who I am, they know what I've done, or they know whose kid I am, or, and they, they say, I'll never change, you'll always be who you'll always been. And if I could just lovingly encourage you, if you're believing those lies, they're just a train car full of garbage. They are lies, and you need to receive the truth of the gospel, which transforms and redeems and saves Jesus moves toward the sinner, toward the tax collector. He specifically says, I have come for the sick. For some of you, you need to be reminded that Jesus still calls the Levi's of the world. People like you and people like me. Change your mind about the lies that you have believed. Repent and agree with the truth about who Jesus is. Pray and receive his forgiveness Welcome his leadership. Trust in him today. 
I would encourage you to read Luke 15 this week or even today. Flip your Bible from chapter 5 to chapter 15 and hear God's heart for the lost. Finally, Jesus spoke to the Pharisees, those who did not recognize their sickness and their desperate need for healing. And some of you are there this morning. You're, you're caught in this trap of comparing your outward way of life with those around you and think as long as you're beating someone on the grading scale, you're good. You've got to look up. You've got to stop looking laterally and horizontally and down the street. You've got to look vertically at Jesus Christ, who is perfectly righteous, unstained, when tempted, not falling into temptation perfectly righteous, holy in every single way. And when we compare ourselves vertically to him, we fall short. Perhaps you know that you're sick, but you think you can get better on your own through your own good works. Remember, inward holiness and inward transformation and inward healing doesn't happen through outward actions. Maybe you think that you don't need the doctor. Or maybe you think the doctor, you wonder if the doctor can really help you or even wants to help you. May the words of Jesus here in Luke 5 blow that false thinking up and remind you of truth today. So as missionaries, for those of us who trust in Christ for our salvation and therefore have joined him in this mission to seek and save and fish for people and make disciples What do we learn about mission? Well, we learn that the gospel is for all, including us. All are invited, all are called to repent, so we must not withhold from proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to anyone and everyone. We also learn that the gospel, or the goal of mission work, is repentance. Jesus said, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance, is what he said. So so the goal is not simply friendship and relationship with the people who don't trust in Jesus yet. Relationship is not actually an absolutely necessary step in mission. Some of you watching today, you don't know me. I don't know you yet. I, I hope to get to know you. But you could trust in Christ today without having a personal relationship with me today. We also learn that relationship is not to be avoided. And at the same time, it's not the ultimate destination. Repentance, salvation, faith in Christ, new life in Christ is our prayer as missionaries. We also learn that gospel mission involves hospitality in homes. Levi uses this, his place of dwelling, his resources, his money for mission. I know we're hindered in our ability to open our homes right now, but we won't be forever. We are realizing right now more than ever that we have been designed for community and we do not flourish in isolation. We are learning that. And in the pain of that, church family, please listen to me. In the pain of that, allow the Lord to bring about transformation in your heart so that six months from now, a year from now, somewhere down the road, after maybe a sense of normalcy has returned and some normal rhythms, you and I are going to be prone to forget. You and I are going to be prone to forget what we learned in 2020. So allow that pain to bring about change that affects your way of life long term and not just short term. 
We need to return to the table in the weeks and months and years ahead. We need to be opening up our homes in hospitable ways for both, for both mission outwardly as well as fellowship inwardly with the family of God. We also learn that social distancing is not a great missional practice. Now, I'm not making comments about the merit of, merits of social distancing in the midst of a global pandemic. Rather, I am saying that as a Christ follower, it means that you and I will socially have friends, acquaintances, coworkers, neighbors who don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You and I should be praying for them by name, asking the Lord to open up doors for the gospel. Isolation from the world is not the call of a disciple maker. To be on mission, we are not to separate from the world in which we live. We would have to leave this world in order to no longer have contact with the loss. So social distancing, as it relates to mission, is not what we've been called to. And yet we also need to be reminded of Jesus' words in John 17, which remind us that as his redeemed people, we are not to be in this world, or we are in this world, but not to be of this world. We are in, not of this world. Because as Jesus was sent from the Father, the Son being sent, he was still holy as he walked as a missionary. And we are sent in the same way, still walking as redeemed people seeking to grow in holiness and live out the holiness that we have in Christ. Because one wrong interpretation of this passage is thinking that to be on mission, it just means blending in with the world. Some people attempt to justify their sinful actions with, well, I'm, I'm just on mission right now, and that's not what Jesus did here at Levi's house. He was in the world, but not of the world. A believer living as a hypocrite acting one way with this group and another way with that group and another way with a different group, that is a tragic hindrance to the gospel. It is a testimony that does not glorify the Lord, but actually glorifies self and reveals a, a fear of man in you because you're, you're more worried about what other people think of you rather than the one who lived and died and rose again for you. Jesus is enjoying relationship here around the table, but he is not giving way to temptation. And if you've read the Gospels, I think it's pretty safe to say that Jesus didn't sit quietly in the corner. He engaged. He asked questions. He got to know stories. He spoke the truth in love. Believer in Christ, listen, to be on mission, we must show and tell of the Gospel. If you know that you're going to fall into temptation in a specific context like a party at Levi's house, then don't go. Jesus specifically prays, lead us not into temptation, teaching us to pray. And so if we know a specific situation is going to lead us into, into temptation, then we don't go. There's great wisdom in separating for the sake of your own sanctification and spiritual growth. You not showing up can be a testimony to the people around you who wonder, has has their faith in Christ, this faith that they're speaking of, has it actually transformed and changed them? Because they're not saying this out loud oftentimes, but they're thinking it. I wonder if that can transform me. I wonder if that can bring about change in me. We need to be continuing to be salt and light to the people around you who need to not only know about their sickness, but need to know how good 
and powerful and loving and forgiving and gracious and compassionate and merciful the doctor is. How willing he is to heal and make new, so willing that he laid down his life to pay that price of sin in full and then took his life back up on the third day, proving he is worthy of our complete trust and worthy of our devotion. Luke writes in verse 27, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Jesus initiates. He loved you and I that much to pursue us. Romans 5.8 But God proves his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, while we were still strain, Christ died for us. Jesus went first. He, the good news of Jesus is that he first loved us which should then move us to not only loving and serving and worshiping Him, but loving and serving those around us on mission. Chris and Maddie, you want to come up? The gospel is that we do not work our way into holiness before holy God, but rather through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone, we receive the righteousness and holiness of, of Christ. On that cross, He took on our unrighteousness, our unholiness, our sin, our shame, our guilt, and took that weight, bore that wrath, and paid the price in full and said with his broken body and his shed blood, it is finished. And now, believers in Christ, we are found in him. As Paul writes in Philippians 3, not having a righteousness or holiness of our own through the law or through outward works, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. In Christ alone we are made holy. And now, loved ones, we live out that holiness as we show and tell of the gospel to the world around us. Father God, I pray that you would continue to move us on mission, not only now in the present, but also into the future. Our prayer is Galatians 2.20, that I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live for you and you alone, Jesus Christ. You have our hearts, you have our lives. Be glorified through them. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.